Quote, I did not enter the house to kill those people. I did not know a single one of them. I did not know their names. And I did not know who all lived at the house. I chose the house to break into because there was not any close neighbors, and I noticed the garage door was ajar. I chose the house the day before. I did not plan for any of this to happen. I did not want to kill anyone. And I tried to just knock the first woman out so that I would be able to escape. This was not working. A second woman showed up, and things quickly spiraled out of control. They kept escalating, and I was panicking. I only chose to process the bodies to make their disposal easier. End quote. It all happened so fast. That's what they all say, right? I didn't have time to think before it was over. It's not my fault. I was cornered, and I just... Reacted. Humans are animals at their core, and many will claim that this animal instinct is what can cause us to lash out, to protect ourselves, to go into that wide-eyed fight-or-flight mode and simply survive. But humans also have eyes in the front of their head. Yes, we have been prey, but we are also predators. And sometimes we do not run away from the danger. We run towards it. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie, and we would be dead. A blanket fort edition. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I know. Blanket fort. Was it's, that spookier in here? It was super spooky in here. <laughs> so what you guys don't know is that Holly had to read that beginning to me several times. I and did. It was scarier each time, <laughs> and now we're in a blanket fort. <laughs> that's right. Um, and anybody can get us in here. <laughs> it, they, that's true. We can't see anything. Or, no. Ooh. We can't see anything in my house because we are in, I mean, we'll put pictures on our Instagram, but we are in, in a house of blankets. Yes. I had the audacity to put hardwood floors down in my house. How dare you? I know. And so now we have to like put up a tent whenever we record in my living room. Otherwise, we sound like we're in a well. <laughs> Which is scary, yes. but annoying. Yes. So we're not going to do that. <laughs> hey, Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, Fiends. Welcome to our first official fall episode. Yes. Woo. To honor the arrival of the season of spooky people everywhere, and because I love the theme, I thought this week we would cover vicious killer and crunchy leaf enthusiast, Matthew Hoffman. <laughs> he does love a leaf. Oh, man. I first heard about Matthew on another podcast and was drawn to the odd and unexplained nature of the case. I will warn you in advance, while this case is absolutely solved, it is not very well explained, so it may leave you scratching your head a little bit. Okay. I'm scratching now. Ugh, you know what, Leslie? So have I. And I've been scratching my head a lot lately. Mm, tell me about it. My skin is so itchy and dry. How is yours holding up? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a little flaky. I mean, I don't know if it's the sun or what, but... I tried treating it with the blood of my enemies. Ooh. Yeah, but it did not have the same restorative powers as good old-fashioned... What is the word I'm thinking of? Uh, the, 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 mm, 
Validation. Validation. That's yeah. it. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Your hosts are not the youthful and exuberant gazelles you see before you, or rather, you imagine. You can imagine whatever you want, because podcasting is an audio medium. No, we are really thousand-year-old vampires whose only means of eternal life is compliments and praise. Yes, and it's really expensive to buy, so if we can just get it. It is. <laughs> and you feel cheap when you yes. buy it. <laughs> that makes me feel icky. <laughs> so if you have not done so already, please stop by Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It only takes a moment, and it really does make all the difference in the world. I would love to see us get on like a top 100 list eventually. I love that. I love a list. We do too. Yes, lists are great. And truly the only way to get there is through your kind ratings and reviews. So it's all on you guys. So it's like we're all in this together? We are all in this together. Amazing. I love that. Uh, We did get a few this week too. And for that we are deeply, deeply grateful. You guys are too kind. Yeah, you guys were very – very supportive and kind and talkative in our groups. And oh, it was we great. love that. So thank you. And the buck doesn't stop there. If you would like to help We Would Be Dead continue with some actual bucks, you can support us with a little weekly donation over on Patreon. Being a patron comes with all sorts of fun perks and benefits, like occasional discounts on our merchandise, exclusive field trips, inv- field trip invites, welcome presents, access to our full catalog of campfire stories, and more. So come on over and be best fiends with us. Yes. Patrons, our field trip to the Pine Barrens will be happening the week before Halloween. We'll be headed to New Jersey's very own Ghost Town Batso Village and taking um, a short hike through the pines after we explore the village. And during this whole time, we will be telling you some terrifying ghost stories about the area. So if you want to come along on this awesome afternoon excursion, and if you are local enough to do so, please support We Would Be Dead over on Patreon, and you'll get all the exclusive information firsthand. Yay. We have other exciting... Oh, our merchandise. Is that in now? Our merchandise is in. Things will be uh, shipping out this week. And we still have some items up on the store. So if you just go to our website, I think it's it's a Linktree website. You'll have like the merch store um, link. You can go in there. We have zip-ups now, uh, t-shirts, tank tops. And if you did want a hoodie, but it's not on there, I believe I can... I might still be able to purchase some of those as well. Yeah, so, so just, just shoot us a message. Yeah, just let me know. If you want something that isn't there, mm-hmm. and we'll see what we can... The hoodies are pretty... Um, they're a little thinner than I thought, which is nice. They're oh, like, like in between. They're not quite like a t-shirt, but mm-hmm. not like a, a thicker. And the zip-up is still light, but a little thicker than the hoodie. So oh, I love just, that. Just, you know, they're really comfortable. Cool. Also, as a treat for all of our listeners, Leslie and I will be releasing our commentary of our mutual favorite <laughs> horror movie, Tusk. I'm so excited. I know. I'm excited, too. To all of our listeners, um, and that'll be released this coming Friday, I believe. It's the first Friday in October. Yes. Yeah. This is either this Friday or next I think it's this Friday. Yes. Thanks for being cool, fiends. That's our thank you to you. And if it works out well, perhaps we'll do more. It might be patron content, so get into our Patreon especially if you like this. And I think that's all the business we have for today. That's it. So if you've been fast-forwarding to get to the story, now is where we'll start. Yeah, here we go. (laughs) Who would do that? Our banter is delightful. (laughs) (laughs) We know you guys live for this part. I'm just going to make it longer. (laughs) All right. 32-year-old Tina Herman was reliable. She showed up to every one of her shifts at the Dairy Queen in Mount Vernon, Ohio, on time. 
And I always think of her as Parker Posey from Waiting for Government because of that. I love that movie so much. It's so good. I always have a job at the Dairy Queen. Mm-hmm. Porn Cokes at the DQ. <laughs> so if you guys want that image too, yeah. it's a good one. And I think it's flattering. I don't it, think absolutely. it's mean. So that's I'm, a, I'm No, gonna... she seems like she's very close knit with the group there at the, absolutely. At the DQ. 2010 had been a rather difficult time for Tina. By November, her live-in boyfriend, Greg Borders, Greg is spelled with two G's at the end, which I will never understand. Greg is always short for Gregory. No spelling of which has two G's in the middle. I So I double-checked that, and okay. my friend has two G's in his why? name. Yeah, Gregor. I don't know. Were you like, does. why do you have two G's? No, I guess I always thought it made sense because Greg has two G's. An egg. Yeah, but it's not G-R-E-G-G-O-R-Y. I think his was. Well, then that makes sense. This is not. (laughs) I don't know. All right. Gregory's report back if you have a double G because it frustrates me to no end. Probably just me. But anyway, Tina and Greg with three Gs had split up and he was in the process of moving out. The house was teetering on foreclosure and Tina was trying to figure out where to go from there. Greg and Tina argued near constantly, and the situation was pretty uncomfortable as they were both stuck in place by circumstance and finances. Which, oh God, that sucks so badly. I know there are a lot of people who are trapped in place with exes during lockdown. And that is such an awkward and ugly situation. Yeah, I can't imagine. You're in like this tense relationship, and it's like really sad, and things are coming to an end, but you have to still live together? Right. Ugh. Oh, that sounds terrible. Doesn't it? Ugh. So that's that's what they're living in. I would never have been able to stay there. I'll live in a tent in the backyard if I have to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a tent of blankets. Yes. Much like order that one. off of Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Let me just get my little tent and I'll be out of your hair. That sounds like a constant anxiety attack. To make matters even more awkward, Tina had two children, Sarah Maynard, who was 13, and Cody Maynard, who was 11. And they did not belong to Triple G, as you may have surmised by the different surnames. Tina and the kid's father, Larry, were obviously not still together. But Larry still lived locally and was still in Sarah and Cody's lives in in some way. There isn't really a lot of details about how involved he was, but he was around. Okay. So. As complicated as life may have been for the Herman Maynard family, they managed to weather all their storms up until that point pretty all right. Tina had a healthy support system. She was close with her co-workers at the DQ. Ooh, see? Yes. They're like a little DQ family. And she had a lot of support from her best friend, Stephanie Sprang. Stephanie helped Tina with the kids, and she would come over to watch them whenever Tina had to work in the evening, which, that is a good friend. That's nice. Yeah. Well, you used to have me come over three days a week. I paid you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess that was the difference. I would have come over. Maybe. You were babysitting and we compensated you for That's it. That's true. I would have had a lot more excuses. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have really great kids, but I cannot imagine asking any of my, and I have really great friends, I should say, but I can't imagine any of them to come over and watch my kids for free, like all the time. Yeah. That's just a lot. That's just a lot. It's a lot of responsibility and time and stuff, but, but Stephanie was up for it, so... That just speaks to her character. Yeah. We're just going to say how great Stephanie was. I'm going to cheers to Steph right now. Yeah, right. All right, Stephanie. (laughs) At any rate, I would never say that life was easy for Tina Herman because of all of the aforementioned things. It was full 
And for the most part, she seemed to be pretty happy. She had, you know, she made it through with a smile on her face. Let's put it that way. Okay. There wasn't a sign of troubles beyond what I mentioned. So obviously there's financial and some emotional tension. But other than that, not really much. Nothing that is until November 10th. On Wednesday, November 10th, 2010, Greg with two Gs rose at 4 a.m. He worked early that morning and planned to spend the night at a friend's house. And I don't blame him. I would still be in a tent in the backyard. Yes. (laughs) Too much. (laughs) Greg woke at 4, quietly packed a bag, and he saw that Tina and the children were still sleeping before he left about 45 minutes later. Apparently, Tina had been sleeping on an air mattress in the living room. Oh. Yeah, you lost me, Greg. I was feeling sympathetic until then. <sighs> That's such a dick move. According to his friends, the actual bed belonged to him, so he wasn't about to let her be in it. I know. I mean, we don't we don't know what they're... No, we don't. Full-blown, you know, I don't know. That's <sighs> still kind of shitty, though, especially with the kids in the house. Yeah, she, the house is hers. She's oh. there with her kids. As far as I know, the house belonged to her, and he was... I guess he was helping pay, like, rent. Okay. But still... She's there with her two children, right. and you make her sleep on the floor in front of her children. Like, they know that that's happening. Yeah, that's shitty. Isn't it? Yeah. I could never, I mean, even if it was my freaking bed, I'd be like, no, 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 you sleep in it. I can't have your kids seeing you, like, sleeping on the floor. That's awful. Mm-hmm. But Greg was fine with it. Cool. On his way to work that morning, cell phone records confirmed that he had a conversation with Tina around 5 a.m., so she was up early. Greg said that she was upset with him for spending the night at his friend's house because she had to work, which left no one to take care of their dog. Hmm. Now, I'm not here to speak ill of anyone, but that that's not really a thing. Maybe she had a second job. Nowhere reports that, but maybe she did. Tina didn't have to work at the Dairy Queen until 4 p.m., at which point her children would have been home. So to me, it seems like this dog situation is not that dire. Right. Even if she's gone in the afternoon, like, a lot of dogs stay home while their owners are at work. But she said it was a big problem. She probably just didn't want him to leave. That's what I think. He's in the process of becoming her ex, and we don't know what feelings were still in play. And I think this was just more of a, like, don't stay somewhere else. Um, Way to leave me with the dog, you know? Right. Regardless, the argument didn't change anything, and Greg went about his life of many Gs. It really bothers me. It bothers me so much. <laughs> Somebody please tell me why this is happening. That would be the last time the two of them spoke. That fact always makes me sad because I feel like she was still a little in love with him. Yeah. Mostly because she didn't want him to spend the night somewhere else and she she used that dog card. I know. Oh, that's so sad. Isn't it sad? I, I always think that too. I just want people to be happy. I know. And that would have been really hard. To be still in love with someone who's not in love with you and they live in your house? Yeah, and you never want to be the first person or the last person, I guess, no. to get over the relationship. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. You never want that. And I can't confirm this at all. These are just my suspicions that I got from reading and listening to many accounts of the story. Okay. So if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But that's what it seems like to me. Sarah and Cody were reported to have attended school that day. And around 11.30, cell phone records show that Tina texted first Greg to tell him that she had fed the dog. (laughs) Such an angry, (laughs) passive-aggressive thing. 
I fed the dog, Greg. <laughs> don't worry. I got it. It's fine. You don't have to. It's fine. I took care of our dog. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, Just go you, hang out with your friend. Yeah. <laughs> hang out with your friends. That's, <laughs> That's how I hear this in my We're fine. <laughs> I'm fed the dog. I'm sleeping on my mattress in the living room. Don't it's worry about fine. me. It's fine. <laughs> You're not here, but I still won't touch your bed. <sighs> Maybe that's what she does. Maybe he went away, and like in the afternoon, she just passes out on the bed. I would. I would roll all over that bed. Oh, God. With the dog. With the dog. <laughs> I would feed the dog in the bed. <laughs> After she'd passive-aggressively texted Greg, she then texted another friend to tell this friend that she was going to see another house that day and that she thought that that would end up working out for her. So she was like another, obviously, to either buy or rent because they had to move out of that house. After that, there is no reported communication to or from Tina. As I mentioned, Tina was scheduled to work at the Dairy Queen at 4 o'clock p.m., but she never showed up. Tina's coworkers weren't too concerned as they figured she must have had something come up with the kids or got confused about when she was supposed to work or something else forgivable and benign. One missed shift happens occasionally at the Dairy Queen, and apparently they're very understanding over there. So they always have a job. I think you're right. (laughs) I worked in a restaurant for years, and one no-call, no-show meant you were fired on the spot. Wow. Not at the DQ, man. They must have. They really had something down in that waiting for government. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they kind of nailed Dairy Queen, I think. They did. They're a family. Yeah. Which, like, hey, more respect to Dairy Queen. That's I know. awesome. I'm going to get some after this. Yeah. We're going to have a trip to Dairy Queen. Awesome. I love it. After work, Tina's coworkers decided to go over to her house because, so good, and see what happened. They pulled up and noticed that Tina's car was in the driveway and the lights in the house were on, but no one answered the door when they knocked. In fact, there was no motion inside of the house at all. Not even the barking of that pesky dog who. <laughs> who so needed so much care before. And her friends noted this was strange. The dog always went ballistic when there was a knock at the door, and this time, there was nothing. The friends check the doors, and they're all locked. So at this point, they do what they're supposed to do and call Call the the damn damn cops. Dairy Queen friends are so good. Get yourself some Dairy Queen friends. Yes, I think I will. It's the moral (laughs) of the story, seriously. They don't sponsor us, but they can. I mean, maybe they should. Yeah. I'm just saying. Love these friends. They noticed something was amiss and didn't wait. Please remember, these guys, if danger should ever rear its ugly head in your life. The police arrived shortly after to perform a wellness check. Now remember, you can do that for anyone, anywhere, at any time. They can't break into the house or anything, but the cops will come by and check on people. If you haven't heard from someone in a really long time, they won't answer their door or their phone, and you're worried about them, send the cops to their house. What's the worst that can happen? The cops catch them not looking their best? Whatever. That's better than finding a bloated corpse three weeks later, right? Yeah, I'd say. (laughs) They look way worse as a bloated corpse. (laughs) FYI. Anyway, the cops come by twice that night, and no one answers the door. At this point, they do not have any jurisdiction to, like, break the door down or gain access to the house by force. The world's best friends come back the next morning, so it is now Thursday the 11th, and notice that Tina's truck is now gone. Mm. Yeah, suspicious. At this point, they try to contact Stephanie, because presumably, if Tina isn't with the children, usually Stephanie is, as we mentioned before. And they're very close. She would, under normal circumstances, know where Tina was at any given time. But when they try to contact Stephanie, they discover that she is also missing. (gasps) No. I know. 
Tina's friends are growing more and more concerned by the minute. School administrators report that Sarah and Cody are not present in school that day. No. I know. And once again, 4 o'clock comes and goes, and Tina does not report for work at the Dairy Queen. (gasps) Gasp. Total gasp. Audible gasp. It is then that her manager, who is a bad bitch and I love her, decides to go to Tina's house herself to see what's going on. She pulls up to Tina's house, and this woman is not fucking around, as I mentioned. Knocks on the door. Nobody's there. So she goes and checks every window until she finds a loose screen on one of the windows in the back. Yes, manager. I know. She then pries the screen off with her bare hands, <gasps> opens the window, and climbs inside. Get it, girl. I know. that. See, your manager at DQ is there for you. I need to rethink my career. <laughs> I know. Maybe we should work there. <laughs> so supportive. I would climb in your back window for you. Thank you. You're I welcome. also would. So we're, we're covered. Once the manager gains access to the house, the scene in front of her unravels in a more frightening way than she could have ever suspected. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. You have to hear it. I'm going to get out of this sport. Stay in the tent. (laughs) (laughs) That's our new hashtag. Stay in the tent. (laughs) Upon entry, she sees that the house is a complete and total bloodbath. Oh. Yeah. Oh. There were bloodstains all over the living room and hallway carpet that led into the equally bloody bathroom. And at that point, she had seen enough and phoned the police to come out. God, they do everything right. They really do. do. Although she did tamper with the crime scene. Yeah, but just enough. Like, they could probably tell. Like, she would be like, I broke that screen. I came in through this closed window. I stood right here, and then I called you. That's true, yes. This is my shoe print. Exactly. These are my shoes. They end here. Though she did notice one more thing. There were a lot of there was a lot of blood, as I mentioned, but there didn't seem to be any bodies. So where were they? And what happened? Well, the police wondered the same thing. They found Stephanie's car in the garage. So Stephanie was there taking care of the kids after school, and no people or dog were present. Police noticed that there was blood absolutely everywhere because they're not blind. Buckets of it, in fact. There were splatters all over the wall, um, pools on the linoleum floor, carpets soaked all the way through to the subflooring, drag marks down the hallway and stairs. There was blood all the way from the front door to the back and everywhere in between. My God. Yeah. Was there um, any blood in the car that they found or just inside the house? No, just inside the house. Okay. And something else. While we all know that blood will oxidize with time and changes colors from vibrant red to a dark brown or rust color, all of its stages are pretty distinct. You know blood when you see it and how it changes. And some of this blood looked and smelled funny. Blood has a smell, for sure. It is earthy and metallic all at once, and humans immediately recognize it as danger or pain, mostly. But that's not what this was. It was chemical and sharp. The blood pools looked greasy and dark. Blood is thick, yes, especially when it's been sitting around, and sticky, also yes, but it's never greasy. Not unless you're monumentally unhealthy, anyway. (laughs) Fast food diets. Yeah, these were very, very sick people. No, they were not. And the color was off. So what was in it? And this isn't all the blood, I should say. It's just blood in some places. The police examined it further, further, only to discover that the larger pools of blood had been doused in motor oil. What? Yeah, which certainly wouldn't have been a cleanup method. You can't clean anything up with motor oil. Though I have read other cases where it was implemented before. Some people seem to think they can hide blood stains with oil spills, 
Oh. Yeah. There was another case where it's like in a trailer and a couple murdered their family and they just dumped motor oil all over everything. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. They thought, well, this will like, hide unless it. you – well, because you could use that to set it on fire. Yes. Also that. And keep that – just put a pin in that thought okay. for later. Science has moved beyond being able to hide blood with oil, though. Like, you can tell blood was there even if you cover all of it in oil. Right. And in that case, there was far more blood than could have been covered unless you had gallons and gallons of the stuff and thought that perhaps the authorities would just, I don't know, believe that the family had an hilarious oil fight and then ran into the woods to start again among the deer. You know, all those hilarious oil fights we have. They're so funny. I just take motor oil and throw it everywhere. Yes. This sounds reasonable, right? For sure. Oh, of course not. No one in their right minds thinks that, but the police truly didn't have much else to go on. And it's not, well, that is not exactly true. There was all of that blood and the patterns it made. It was visible where the incidents had happened and where the injured parties had lain, as there were large pools of blood and copious blood spouter connected by drag marks and all roads led to the bathroom, which, (laughs) I know you love this pun, which was a total bloodbath. (sighs) In and around the bathtub. It was cheap, Holly. I wasn't intentional either. When I wrote it, I wasn't thinking, this will be clever. I was like, this is descriptive. (laughs) But a big, like, messy, bloody bathtub is never good. No. Never. And another thing, the bathroom was also dotted with pieces of body fat and tissue. Oh. I don't, I hate that detail. Yep, yep. There were no fingerprints. As it appeared that the ta- attacker had worn gloves, so they only say that there were fabric prints. Like, mm. you could see the weave of the fabric marked in blood. Okay. No witnesses, obviously, because the house is in the middle of the woods and everybody who was in it was gone. And no bodies. So what the hell happened? I know. Bloody, meaty bathtub, though. That's bad. Very, very bad. This is gross. <laughs> I mean, this is the set of a horror movie. Sincerely, <sighs> it could not have been more purposefully decorated like a haunted house if someone had tried Everyone knows that the tub is where a killer always dismembers the body. If I know that, and you know that, then surely the cops knew that too. Did they? Honestly, I think they did. Okay. But with no confirmation of death, this was still a missing persons case. Okay. Possibly a kidnapping. And that's how the police went to the press. Which I don't think was unwise. I think, God, the cops really do well in this. Because can they, I mean, they found, like, pieces of meat in the... They did, but, I mean, it could be an injury. Oh, yeah. But is that, can you tell, or is everything too, like, mishmashed for them to be able to tell, like, who's who? It was just little tiny pieces. Oh, okay. So it could have been the dog, or it could have been a human. It could have been anything, yeah. It was just, like, little tiny bits. Okay. Not any, like, large pieces. (laughs) Okay. And and they really did proceed with hopes that they might at least find the children yes. or Stephanie or Tina somewhere alive. Certainly injured, but alive. I mean, you can bleed a lot before you die. Police held a press conference telling everyone in the area to keep an eye out for the four missing persons and to report anything out of the ordinary they saw or might see in the next few days. Anything could be a clue. How many calls do you think the cops got? Like a bajillion. Yeah, I bet it was they a always million. They do. They do. When Mark Heimbaugh went missing here in Middle Township, the cops were inundated with a billion people who thought they saw him. So everyone who saw his picture was like, oh, yeah, I saw he was at the gas station yesterday. He's at my house now. I am him. It's fine. I love when they, like, say that they either are that person or they're the person that, like, stole them. Or <laughs> Yep. At some point, like, we'll cover. Me. I did it. 
We'll cover the Romanovs and the Grand Duchess Anastasia and the woman who pretended she was her for like oh, 30 yeah, years. Yeah. That's a great story. <laughs> that might be campfire fodder, but I mm-hmm. have a feeling you guys would be interested in hearing it. You for can sure. report back if you like. So anytime that happens, the cops are inundated with calls. That was our point. But this time, the call to action worked. On Thursday, November 11th, that same day, mind you, we're still in the 11th, authorities found Stephanie's truck. Oh, not Stephanie. That's a typo I didn't even fix. Authorities found Tina's truck. Okay. Yeah, because they found Stephanie's in the garage. Stephanie's car was in the garage, so they found Tina's truck in a parking lot of a trail on the campus of Kenyon College, which is located in the neighboring town of Gambier. Okay. The cops immediately put the college on lockdown. I have to say it again. All in all, there is some really stellar cop work happening this week. Yeah. They act pretty quickly once the situation is confirmed to be dire and take every possible precaution. Every student at Kenyon College was informed that they should stay where they were and be on the lookout for any suspicious individuals. At this point in time, it's 2010, so it is reasonable to assume that they all had smartphones and could therefore access email or call the authorities immediately should anything have happened. Yep, right. Okay. But it didn't. Police did notice, however, a man sitting in a silver Toyota on campus, and they approached him for questioning. They asked for his identification, and he could only give them a driver's license. He didn't have college ID at all. And so they asked him why, considering he wasn't a student, he was sitting there parked in the lot. He told them he was waiting for his girlfriend, Sarah. Did you catch that? The police observed camouflage clothing on the passenger's side seat. They informed the man that he wasn't allowed to be there and should go, and he did. After further investigation, the detectives back at Tina's house had a break in the case. In the garage, along with more bloodstains covered in motor oil, they discovered a plastic Walmart bag that had a box of black contractor bags with several removed, one tarp still in the package, and one tarp out of the package. And with that, they were off. Great. Yeah, again, cops totally slay this case. Mm -hmm. They are good cops this time. I know a lot of times we can sometimes get a little negative on cops because we do encounter a lot of cases wherein they don't get it. (laughs) Right. It's also hard, too, because we're coming in after, so we're seeing it completely. And that's not to negate that. Sometimes they really don't get it, and they really... Mm -hmm. I mean, like in the... um, Cheshire murders. That was yeah, infuriating. That was so infuriating. The way the police reacted. But this this one we're doing really good with the cops. So mm-hmm. good on good on these people. Police headed over to the local Walmart where they were able to find out through CCTV and register receipts and interviewing the cashiers just who had purchased the tarps and trash bags on the morning of Thursday, November eleventh. They couldn't get a name, but they got pictures and a very good description. It was a young to middle aged skinny white man. Wearing glasses and a camo shirt, brown hair with a receding hairline. All right. So let's connect the dots for a minute before we move on. I'm sure there were millions of skinny, middle-aged white men in Tina, Sarah, Stephanie, and the children's life. But who would have the motivation to do this? Perhaps it was the angry ex-boyfriend who just wanted to be free of his ex and her kids. Greg with two Gs. Maybe he was getting his revenge or something. Right? That sounds plausible to me. Yeah, there's that convenience factor that he was gone. Mm-hmm. But I don't... There's no... That that would that scene is too horrific. 
I'm, I'm just throwing up okay. people who we've already encountered. Maybe it was Larry, the kid's father, who was unhappy. Maybe he was unhappy with his custody arrangement. We don't know how that went. Right. Maybe it was the other manager at Dairy Queen and they weren't as understanding as we all originally thought. No. No, Dairy Queen comes out well every time. Every time. It is not the Dairy Queen. The possibilities are endless, but I promised you weird, and weird is what you're going to get. It's obvious to me. All of those add up way too much. <laughs> On the outset, if you had asked me, like, some who who had done this, I would immediately have said Greg. Yeah, if you didn't have all the facts, though. Uh-huh. That's yeah. what it looks like. Because it seems so, well, it's weird because it seems personal, but. It does. It seems very and personal. And you want it to be. It's hard because you, even though you don't want it to be personal, you still, the scarier thing is that it's somebody you don't know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Something this violent is much scarier when it's not someone that knows yeah. them. So again, I, I, my, my brain goes right to Greg because he's in a financial bind. He wants to be rid of Tina. But firstly, Greg is not the man in the video. And second, he has an airtight alibi. He wasn't lying when he said he was going to work and then to stay with a friend. Okay. That's just what he did. And Larry, well, by now, you um, will have all seen pictures of Larry. And he doesn't fit the description either. Larry's a little, not as, not as uh, narrow as the gentleman. Ah, I got it. In the photo. It's very nice of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And the manager thing was just a joke. Dairy Queen would never. No. We've already established that. But if we have learned one thing over here at We Would Be Dead, it's first that you should never bleach bones. If we learn two things, it's that you should never bleach your bones and always call the damn cops. Mm -hmm. So if we've learned three things, it's that you should never bleach your bones, always call the damn cops, and random killings happen. Ugh. Look at the Cheshire murders, Ted Bundy's victims, the Night Stalker killings, the Golden State Killer, and it wouldn't be an episode of We Would Be Dead without mentioning Richard Trenton Chase. Those women didn't know their killers, and their killers didn't know them. As terrifying as it may be, sometimes murders just don't make sense. But I know you're all yelling at me right now. Holly, the guy in the silver car, that guy! Who's that guy? (laughs) Tell us about him. And you're so smart, Leslie and my beautiful fiends. Who is that guy? Indeed. Well, if you know anything about a Walmart, you will know that they have cameras absolutely everywhere. Because Walmart people are wild. And they will try to come in naked, walking their ostrich while firing a gun. And we can't be having that. (laughs) I've seen it. I've seen it happen. (laughs) Every day. They just try. They're not allowed, but they try it. That same very specific thing. The cameras were able to track the man who bought the tarps out into the parking lot and watch him enter a... Silver car? A silver Toyota. Ooh. Yes, you are right. You did it. Well, the Cracker Jack cops went back to work and found that the car was a silver Toyota Yaris. They looked up all the white male silver Toyota Yaris owners in Knox County, and lo and behold, they came across one Matthew Hoffman, 30 years old, six foot one. 165 pounds, and worked locally as a tree trimmer. His DMV photos confirmed that he was indeed the man from the Walmart surveillance footage. And, handsome warning, he is good-looking. Oh, man. Which I hate. It's always a shock when they're good-looking, right? I feel like it shouldn't be. But also, I just my brain says that monsters should all look like monsters. You, you would hope. Maybe I think that's because it's a lot scarier when they're not. You want to trust people that you think are good-looking. You can't. Don't. I know you're going to want to. Don't do it. The article I read on Matthew from a website called the Hex Files Collective, which you guys are great. Shout out to you. They hilariously captioned his high school photo with, quote, 
If it were the 90s and Tinder existed and he wasn't a murderer, would swipe right. (laughs) (laughs) It's so terrible, but it's probably true. I laughed so hard. 100 points to the folks at the Hex Files Collective. You're great. And I appreciate you endlessly. So at this point, we have his license information, which means we also have his address. Yay. Go, go, gadget cops. And go they did. Immediately, a SWAT team was sent over to the confirmed residence of Matthew Hoffman. The first officer to approach the door kicked it in, while the second threw a flash grenade, hoping to stun Matthew so he could easily be apprehended. So they are serious business. Oh, yeah. But they wouldn't have to worry about shocking him. He was asleep. Oh, good. Just sleeping on the couch. Mount Vernon police detective Craig Feeney was that first officer on the scene, and he said, quote, We plowed our way through the smoke and saw something on the couch. We yanked him to the floor, and he said, What's going on? I said, You tell me. But he was done talking. Oh, yes, Mr. Feeney. <laughs> Mr. Feeney. I'm glad you got that right away. I was waiting for it. I said, like... I know that he doesn't look like Mr. Feeney, but I picture him as Mr. Yes. Feeney every time. Also, I love cop talk, mm-hmm. but he was done talking. We should do um, a little reenactment of some cop talk. <laughs> It'll be a special segment. Yeah. I have to write it in, but like, I like where that's going. Okay, cool. <laughs> We're the beat cops from now yeah. on. <laughs> with, Matthew Ho- with that, Matthew Hoffman fixed his gaze on the distance and refused to say another word. And it's no wonder. The police hadn't noticed immediately as their first order of business was clearly to apprehend Matthew. But after a little of the literal smoke began to clear, bizarre things came into focus. For one thing, the living room floor was thick with leaves. Oh. And when I say thick with leaves, I don't mean some blew in from the front door. These leaves are for anywhere from a foot and a half to three feet high in the center. What? Mm-hmm. That's so many leaves. Yeah, it was like a sea of leaves. You could swim around in them. What did they think they were walking through? Well, they didn't know. And I they guess, all were yeah. spread on top of a tarp. Oh, true. Oh. <laughs> Don't get your floor messy. Yeah. It's a hell of a cleanup. You know, he loves a good tarp, too. Mm-hmm. So there was no way this was an accident. That's how many leaves were, there were. And Officer Feeney was quoted once again as saying, quote, So much runs through your mind. What if someone is hiding under that pile? Or in this case, I thought, is that where he's hiding the bodies? Oh, my God, yeah. And yeah, I think we all thought that. But he wasn't. I thought he was jumping in them. He probably was doing that. He stuttered on that. That's going to sound so funny. (laughs) He was just (laughs) jumping off the couch (laughs) into them. Yeah. I'd I'd never think the worst. Sometimes I do. Good for you. Or the gross. I never think the grossest thing. I think I always think the worst thing. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's too much of this. Were for there me. bodies in there? We're gonna Sorry, keep, I'm like in the leaves. <sighs> there weren't bodies in the leaves. We're gonna keep okay. going. All right. While Matthew was now handcuffed and in the squad car, the police proceed cautiously through the house, and things only get stranger. The leaves, first of all, are not confined to the living room. They are everywhere. But in other rooms, there are neatly stacked bags of leaves. Hundreds and hundreds of them lining the walls of the bathroom and, like, around the toilet. They're just, like, oh. it's all encased in le- in bags of leaves. The garage is lined similarly, and so is one of the walls in the living room. And it almost looks like, and I'll post pictures of it, it almost looks like insulation. 
Mm-hmm. But this was far too bizarre to be easily explained like that. And the house was, by all accounts, modern and not in need of bags and bags of leaves to keep the heat in. Hmm. The kitchen cabinets were also covered in childlike doodles of hearts and words and peace signs and the names of the Kardashians and stick figures. No, I I hate that. Uh-huh. Very Blair Witch. Ew. Yeah. I can get with the leaves. I can't do with the tribal drawings. <laughs> Once it's the creepy drawings, you're out. In the Kardashians? Well, it says, like, I think it says, I forget the names, Kim and Courtney and Scotty or something. No which, Chloe? No, I don't think so. Poor Chloe. Maybe it was, was Chloe and not out. Kim. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't write that part down. Okay. But, um... It's funny because when other people mention the names, they always are like, these random names that we could never discover who they were. I'm like, they're obviously Kardashians. Where's your head? Oh my gosh, do they not live in this world? They live in a bunker in somebody's backyard, I think. I have never watched a single episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And I know that. Yeah. Because they're everywhere. Yeah. But let's press onward. No, I want to stay on this. <laughs> Let's stay on the Kardashians, <laughs> goddammit. No. <laughs> then they got to the freezer, which only contained two dead squirrels and cherry popsicles. Okay. An after-dinner treat. Right? If you're going to have squirrels, you got to chase them with a cherry popsicle. Oh, my God. The police then located a door behind a cabinet. They moved the cabinet aside and saw that the door led to an unfinished basement. Oh, boy. Don't go in the basement. Fucking unfinished basements are the worst. Ugh. I hope they're all there. I hope they're all there and they're okay. They're all there playing board games. It's fine. Oh, my God. That would be great. And then they hug Mr. Feeny. Oh, don't joke with me, Holly. <laughs> and then the whatever the music to the end of Boy Meets World plays right now. Oh, gosh. Like a little after school special. <laughs> yeah. That's. That's not what happened. In the oh. basement, of course, it's filled with more leaves. Why wouldn't it be? And this time, they culminate in a like a side room in a giant pile topped with blankets. Okay. And atop the blankets is yeah. Sarah Maynard. <gasps> Alive! Oh, <laughs> surprise! What? Yes! Oh, thank God. <laughs> I know. You thought oh. it was going to be a body, but this time it wasn't. Oh, my gosh. Ooh. So good. Is she Okay. Does she have all her limbs? Yeah, okay is relative, but she is unharmed. Okay. Physically. (laughs) Dear Lord. Did anyone, we didn't think anybody got out alive in this one. I totally didn't. When I found that out, I was shocked too. Sarah's hands and feet were tied with yellow cord and duct tape, and she was gagged. A white plastic bag had been fashioned into a diaper and placed around her. It was clear that Sarah had not been allowed to move as her jeans were soaked to the knees with urine and she was filthy. Oh, God, I'm going to cry. I know, but, like, imagine that Detective Feeney is Mr. Feeney right now. Okay. And he's taking care of her. So comforting. Yes. Detective Feeney removed her restraints and asked if she was okay. Sarah could only reply that she was late for school and she had to go. That breaks my heart so hard. That poor kid just could not process what had happened to her. And all she could think of was, like, at this hour of the day, I'm supposed to be in school. Oh, my gosh. Right? Ugh. I get oh, okay. When questioned at first, like at the scene, she had no idea what had happened to her mother or brother or Stephanie, but she did suspect that Matthew had killed her dog. Okay. He did. He did kill her dog. I'm so sorry, you guys. I don't actively look for dog murder. It just happens more often than one might think. The cops did recover a knife in the bathroom full of leaves, but no bodies and no trace of Cody, Tina, or Stephanie. 
We got one. But that's it. Poor Sarah was kept in Matthew's basement for four days. Oh, man. Yeah. Remember um, when they pulled him over and he said he was there to pick up his girlfriend, Sarah? Sarah? Yep. Later on at the hospital, Sarah was able to give a better account of what happened to her. She was tied to the makeshift bed, and sometimes Matthew became so nervous that he would sleep next to her with his arms around her. No. Which isn't, like, the worst thing I could possibly think of at all. Oh, I hate, I hate it so much. I know, it's awful. Sarah said that she and her brother had been attacked as they returned home from school. Sarah ran into her bedroom, but Matthew grabbed her and took her down to the basement where he had tied her up, and then brought her back up into the kitchen where she remained on the floor for some time before Matthew put her in Stephanie's Jeep, covered with blankets, for a while, before he then took her out of that Stephanie's car and put her into another car, probably his car, obviously, and then brought her to his house. Okay. She was kept tied up in a bathroom, a closet, and then the basement on a bed of leaves. Matthew told her that he had made her the bed of leaves so that she would be comfortable, claiming that he himself liked it very much and would have been happy to sleep on it. Oh, man, he has some screws loose. Yeah, I don't think he has any tight screws. Ugh. But, of course, she didn't just lay there the whole time. That would be too easy. Matthew had, ugh, this, no. I hate this part. Matthew had performed oral sex on her and made her perform oral sex on him. Oh. Yep. She had been starved and forced to sit in her own filth. Now, not that it makes a huge difference, but there are no reports that she was actually vaginally raped. Okay. Oh, which God. again, she's like, what, 13? Yep, she's 13. Which again, not that that's necessarily any better, but maybe a very small favor. It probably, I bet you it mattered in his brain. Like he thought he was. He thought he wasn't doing being anything. Kind. I bet you. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And for some people, that sort of virginity matters a lot. So maybe for her, it did in the end, too. Maybe she, that was one small thing she held on to. Yeah. I don't know, but. And, and again, perhaps it was in reports I didn't. They don't include it for public sharing, but okay. everything I read said that didn't have any mention of that. So let's get back to Matthew. Who is this guy? What happened? Where are the others? And what's with the fucking leaves? Matthew Hoffman was born on November 8th, 1980 to parents Robert and Patricia Hoffman. He was raised in northeastern Ohio by both of them together until 1997 when his parents divorced and he went to live with his mother in Knox County. It's no surprise that all of Matthew's childhood friends claimed him to be kind of a weird kid who liked to hang out in the woods. But he did have friends. Okay. All, all the like weird little stories about his childhood, none of which are really pertinent, but they all mention like he jumped off a garage roof with his buddy. He was found hanging out making treehouses in the woods with some other kid. But he always has a, another kid with him. Okay. Which is not as suspicious as by himself, right. a la Jeffrey Dahmer, but still, that was his childhood. After he graduated from East Knox High School in 1999, he moved to Colorado, not to go to college, just to work, where he worked briefly and also got himself a prison record. Matthew was working installing heating and air conditioning systems, and this gave him rather intimate access to other people's homes. I hate that. I think about that all the time when we have to call people. Mm -hmm. Like, 
I don't want any anyone to come to my house. Now. I know, especially like that kind of thing. You don't really want to be in the house. You're like the HVAC guys are coming. Mm-hmm. We like let them in, whatever. But he was in he was in their house, and he was a creep. Obviously, on August twenty seventh of two thousand, Matthew took a set of house keys from a townhouse he had been working on. So I'm sure they just had an extra set of keys laying somewhere, and he just nicked them, mm. and returned to the house at night looking to rob it, and then burn it down to cover his tracks. Because why not? Yeah, of course. He stole a bunch of taxidermy. No judgment there. Taxidermy is fucking cool. But then he doused the property in 10 gallons of gasoline. Wow. And lit a match. Now, this is an eight-townhome, like, complex. So everything was on fire. Exactly. (laughs) You can't just burn down one when it's connected to seven others. But that was going through his head. Question. Yes. Did he steal any boots? <laughs> Not to my knowledge. Okay. I mean, you could probably write him and ask him if you want. Yeah. Don't write him and ask him. Nobody write. Don't do that, guys. Just don't. No, don't even talk They to don't him. deserve that. But go listen to our Thomas Sweat episode if you haven't. Yes, for sure. And then you'll understand that. Thankfully, no one died. Okay. Which surprised me. They must have had like a great alarm and exit strategy. Yeah, they practiced. They had fire they drills. They had fire drills and they were on it. But the building was, of course, trashed. Matthew drove away in the homeowner's car, which he then left in a parking lot and fled to his own vehicle, which he drove back to Ohio. But don't worry. This is a case of exemplary police work. So, of course, the Colorado cops catch up with him. But not for the building fire. This is a real H.H. Holmes getting caught for horse thievery moment. (laughs) I love when criminals do something small and stupid and that's what they get caught for. And then it's like, oh, they did way worse. (laughs) Now, as it turns out, Matthew had also been stealing wooden welcome signs, which is like the weirdest thing to take, um, which the police had then located in the hotel room that Matthew had been living in in Colorado. So the Colorado police brought him back from Ohio to Colorado, where he not only confessed to the welcome sign theft, but then also unsolicitedly to the building fire. Oh. Yeah. They didn't ask him about that at all. He just offered it up. Well, that was nice of him. Wasn't it? Matthew was convicted of these crimes and spent six years in a Colorado prison before being paroled to Ohio, where he found work first as a truck driver and then as a tree trimmer. He loved a tree. Matthew was able to buy a small house, and his neighbors all called him a weirdo. Some of them used the word different. Okay. But they for sure meant weird. Oh, yeah. I think that's worse. (laughs) They're like... He was different. (laughs) Oh, you mean real weird. I know it. Matthew spent all of his time climbing trees with the local children. If your child climbed trees with that guy, how traumatized would you be? So I'm never going to let my kids climb trees again. Yeah, get out of the trees. Um, He would collect leaves and he would also kill and eat neighborhood squirrels, which is why there was two in his fridge. Oh. Yeah, neighbors assumed that he was, quote, and like four of them say this, a nature person. (laughs) What? That's not like a, oh, yeah, 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 I get it. There's so many nature people. Well, I don't, he's, you said he lived in Ohio. Yeah. And there's some of those, some of those towns, like they're very farmy and like, yeah, I don't want to say it like in a negative way, but like backwoodsy kind of thing. So it could be one of those areas where maybe it wasn't super weird like it yeah weird enough but not like alarming i'm assuming what they meant 
was that he just kind of lived off the grid. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm picturing they're right. thinking of him as. And if you're out in the middle of nowhere, maybe not, that's not crazy uncommon. Maybe they eat squirrels and rake tons of leaves all the time. I don't know. I've never been there. It's, it could be a far drive to the grocery store. It could. And some, well, no, he used to go and then he stopped. They comment on that. They say oh, he stopped okay. going to the grocery store altogether and started eating squirrels. Well, it's cheaper. Sure is cheaper. Um, and they and some of them also attributed it to the fact that he spent time in prison, which, okay, prison can make you weird probably. <laughs> that's such a, I feel like that's such an ignorant thing to say though. It is. Like, he, he went to prison, now he just eats squirrels. That's what they all do. <laughs> 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 I mean, that's probably what the gossip sounded like. I was giving them the benefit of the, like, he's traumatized. He spent oh, yeah. time in prison. But no, no you're think- right. That's 100% what it was. <laughs> oh, God. And for a while, Matthew happily worked as a tree trimmer and did a lot of weird shit with the trees. But sadly, he wasn't that good at tree trimming. Oh, no. Much to his chagrin. And in the fall of 2010, he was fired from this job. And his girlfriend dumped him. Oh, man. But to be fair, Matthew had choked her. Well, yeah, that'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) That'll make him dump you, dude. I don't know what to tell you. I wonder if he got fired from the tree trimming because he hated trimming the trees because he thought he was hurting them. (laughs) I don't, that hasn't been reported anywhere. But it's a very funny theory, so I like it. Okay. The girlfriend had reported him to the police. The police found visible marks of the assaults. Um, and she and her little boy who had been living with Matthew. Yikes! Oh, God. No. There was a child living in the house of a thousand leaves? Oh, my God. What could they have possibly thought about that? Like, maybe it wasn't that bad yet. Maybe not. Maybe in, like... Maybe it got worse. Like, maybe when she moved weeks. out, he was just like, finally, I can decorate the way I want to. <sighs> maybe don't... that's what the choking was about. Maybe, but also... <laughs> No, we're not giving him giving it an excuse for choking. No, it's not a good excuse. I'm just saying he's <laughs> there's something wrong. <laughs> there's a lot wrong there. Um, but there the time gap between what ha- the assault with his girlfriend and then what happens in this case is not large. Okay, it's probably like a few weeks to a month. You can get a lot of shit done. Hundreds of bags of leaves and line the wall. I guess you can, especially without I mean, a job. If you're motivated, that time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Gotta find a hobby. After his uh, girlfriend and the kid move out, things just went from bad to worse. How does it get worse? Matthew still owed an exorbitant amount of money for the crimes he committed in Colorado, which if I haven't mentioned, and I don't think I did, the fines were over $2 million. Well, it's just crazy. And they didn't make him go. It's just, it's nuts to me that he did such a horrific thing. Yeah. And he's just like living Normally. I know he went to prison, yeah, but... he spent the six years in jail, um, and then, I mean, I guess because everyone got out alive, and... Yeah. I have no idea, but that's what happened. Okay. So he has those fines, which are astronomical, not to mention the mortgage on his house and his car payment, which had lapsed and his car had been repossessed. Okay. Time, he thought, to rob a house. So I guess somehow he got the Toyota back, because he did have a car. So what's happening under the hood here? What do we think could have led a person to this desperate place that we all know has a horrible climax, and I promise we will get to it? Well, what do we know? Frankly, not a whole lot. He likes fires, no word if he set them in his youth, and stealing, but that's not in the McDonald triad. While he certainly was strange, he never got any mental help, not even after being incarcerated. The most we have to go on is the leaf thing. 
So let's go with that. If you will recall from previous episodes and this past week's What the Friday, a paraphilia is a strong obsessive and sexual attraction to an object that is anything other than a consenting adult human. In this case, it's a tree. Lots of psychologists suspect that Matthew Hoffman has something called dendrophilia, which would be a paraphilia focusing on a tree. But here's the rub with dendrophiles, not the actual rub that would only end in this case in a case of dick splinters. And I truly can't think of many things worse than dick splinters. No. Anyway. Ew. Yeah. Dendrophiles in some schools of thought, however, are not suffering from a paraphilia, but rather a form of obsessive compulsive disorder. And Leslie, please tell us a little bit about OCD while I desperately try to catch my breath. Surely. Thank you. All right. Oh, I can go over here and look at you. Yeah. <laughs> Come look at me. I'm going to. Obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD is a mental health disorder that affects people of all ages and walks of life and occurs when a person gets caught in a cycle of obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions are thoughts, images, or impulses that occur over and over again and feel outside of the person's control. Individuals with OCD do not want to have these thoughts and find them disturbing. In most cases, people with OCD realize that these thoughts don't make any sense. Obsessions are typically accompanied by intense and uncomfortable feelings such as fear, disgust, doubt, or a feeling that things have to be done in a way that is just right. In the context of OCD, obsessions are time-consuming and get in the way of important activities the person values. The last part is extremely important to keep in mind as it, in part, determines whether someone has OCD, a psychological disorder, rather than an obsessive personality trait, which a lot of us definitely know people with obsessive personality traits. For sure. And we probably joke that they have OCD, which is really hurtful for the actual OCD community. I don't know. I think maybe I do have a little of it. You could, or it could be the start of it. It's, a lot of this seems like the start, so if you can't end up getting control over it yeah. is when it gets um, when it gets bad. This is not the same thing as just obsessing over something. For instance, I'm obsessed with Shore Soap's new body washes, especially the vanilla chai. Ooh! Yes, they're very nice. Yes. But I'm not so obsessed that I'll end up using the whole bottle of it in the shower or running out and having to halt the rest of my day uh, and plans till I can get a new bottle. Oh, don't like, do that. Yeah, no. That's I can, crazy. I can just use what I need and get out of the shower. Yeah, you're, you're doing good. Yes. I'm also obsessed with Britney Spears, but being all up in her business doesn't keep me from hanging with friends, going to bed, or even getting to work on time. Ugh, when can we cover Save Britney? Soon, I hope. Okay. <laughs> um, there's a lot of other reasons that I'm late for work and... <laughs> Don't go to bed on time, but it's not because of Britney Spears. None of them are Britney Spears because you used a whole bottle of body wash. Exactly. And for that, we are thankful. Yes. So compulsions are behaviors an an individual engages in to attempt to get rid of the obsessions and or decrease his or her distress. The repetitive behaviors or thoughts are intended to neutralize, counteract, or make their obsessions go away. People with OCD realize this is only a temporary solution, but without a better way to cope, they rely on compulsion as a temporary escape. Compulsions can also include avoiding situations that trigger obsessions. Similar to obsessions, not all repetitive behaviors or rituals are compulsions. You have to look at the function and the context of the behavior. For example, bedtime routines, 
uh, religious rituals, or sorry, religious practices, and learning a new skill all involve some level of repeating an activity over and over again, but are usually a positive and functional part of daily life. Arranging and ordering books for eight hours a day isn't a compulsion if the person works in a library. Yeah. But if you don't work in a library, maybe you should. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just turn that frown upside down and use what you got. Yes. Mm-hmm. Similarly, you may have compulsive behaviors that wouldn't fall under OCD. If you are a stickler for details or like to have things neatly arranged, that's fine. In this case, compulsive refers to a personality trait or something about yourself that you actually prefer or like. So people with OCD and these compulsive acts that they do, it's not something that they like to do. They wish they didn't have to do them. Okay. Whereas if it's a personality trait, you're like, yeah, I'm a stickler for... For things, you Love know. arranging books. Yeah. Fine. I like when things are neatly put together. It just makes me feel good. But the compulsive stuff, like, this all kind of tracks with Matthew Hoffman and all the weird leaf shit. It seems to add up. Yeah. Um. So in most cases, individuals with OCD feel driven to engage in compulsive behavior and would rather not have to do these time-consuming and many times torturous acts. In OCD, compulsive behavior is done with the intention of trying to escape or reduce anxiety or the presence of obsessions it's just something that they have to do or like terrible like they could get in their head that terrible things could happen like their family will die or oh, no. um they're i don't know just some something bad like they'll have bad luck they won't get i don't know but yeah it's it's um it's a rough way to live it sounds <laughs> terrible yes So cases of OCD behavior can start at any age, but the majority begin between the ages of 8 and 12 and between late teen years and early adulthood. Um, So again, like I would think early adulthood would either be something that could have happened, maybe there was a trauma that happened, or you have a little bit of this personality trait, and then it's probably usually triggered with with a trauma, or I don't know, you just start you see that good things might be happening mm-hmm. with you flicking the lights on a certain way yeah. or um, you just get extra superstitious about yeah. it and it goes from there. Mm-hmm. I could see that. It is estimated that one in 100 adults and one in 200 children in America suffer from OCD, which is a wild number. That's huge. That's yeah. so many. With the kids, like the one in 200, it's it would be in a regular size elementary school, it would be like four – four or five kids in the school would have it and then probably like in a high school you'd have like 20 kids that have this disorder that may or may not know they have this disorder wow yeah only trained therapists can diagnose ocd Um, therapists will look for three things the person has obsessions he or she does compulsive behaviors The obsessions and compulsions take a lot of time and get in the way of important activities the person values, such as working, going to school, or spending time with friends. And then treating OCD, there's two main ways um, that they treat. Mm -hmm. Uh, For most OCD patients, um, they would involve themselves in exposure and response prevention or a medication. Um, I think the medication was closer to like an anxiety Okay. Medication. Um, that's what I, I watched a Howie Mandel special about his OCD. Oh, no. And he, has he takes so much an, of it. I know. It's really bad. He can't touch people. So it's, he thinks his hands, the palm of, of his hands, are like petri dishes, which they, I mean, they are, but 
Not to the extent not, that he thinks, yes, I don't think. I think no. he's pretty extreme. So he can, he can like, fist pump or he just can't do anything with, like, an open palm. So he always has to wear gloves. He can't, like, push a door open and he has to use, like, other parts of his body to do that. And it's, like, really, really sad. Um, I'm I'm sure he's going through, like, a ton of stress right now during this whole or, pandemic. Or does he just feel right? Well, that was the other thing. Like, is he feeling super correct? Like, he's probably set up for this. Yeah, he's probably like, well, I don't know where you guys have been, but this yeah. is how things are. But I do know that he takes an anxiety pill. Okay. Probably, I think daily to help cope with him not stressing out, especially on like his TV shows and things like that. Oh, God, he's around so many people. Yeah. So. I don't know how he does that. I always think if you say obsessive compulsive disorder, I can't not think of Mark Summers. I <laughs> know. If you are our age, you saw that E! True Hollywood you story. You have. Where he straightens the tassels on the rug and he I can't, like, leave and lifts her all perfectly straight. How did he do Double Dare? Double Dare. I don't know. The slime. There's. I've listened to documentaries and watched them on Nickelodeon. That slime was rancid. It was not, like, a nice, clean thing to have on you. No. Sometimes what? it was like old food products. It yeah. just wasn't like great. I mean, like it what we all loved watching it. But if you were mm-hmm. somebody who was really con- like didn't like textures and germs and things and had to have things be a certain way, that had to be actual hell. Yes. Yeah, no, I don't pass a rug with tassels without thinking about him. All right. Well, that's all I have on OCD. Thank you, Leslie. Well, that does track with him. A lot of that feels applicable. So that's good. With all of that in mind, where does this leave us? Sarah is now safe in the custody of her father, and Matthew is in the custody of the police, being interrogated. And of course, he cannot act like a normal human being. Why would he? For the first ten minutes of the interview, he says absolutely nothing to the officer. He just stares catatonically forward, and je- and then, ten minutes in, he begins to gesture toward his his heart and then indicate his heart is broken oh dear like Lord. a gorilla doing sign language no Ew. yeah your heart is broken wah i hate him i know am i allowed to am I allowed of course to hate? yes you are allowed to hate him we uh, okay. we we are very empathetic and we always try to understand what we can when we can but yes some of these people are for sure hateable and we're going to have moments where we want to throw them against the wall uh, he's He definitely is one of them. After way more catatonic silence, another detective takes the reins. And I'm talking about like four hours of catatonic silence. Oh, ew. yeah. And when they switch, a few minutes in, Matthew starts talking. He claims that he doesn't know what happened, that he blacked out and woke up with Sarah in his house. He says that he took care of her, that he made her a comfy bed of leaves, fed her burgers, and let her watch Iron Man and read Treasure Island. Fact check, none of that happened according to Sarah, who we clearly believe. Yeah. Even still, like, (laughs) he says to that, and I've heard this confession, he says, like, I knew I had done something bad, but I didn't know what had happened, and I knew that she ended up in my house, so I just tried to take care of her as much as I could, and he thought, he might give her a little more freedom every day. He's like, oh, I kept her tied up, and then I would let her un- be untied for a little while, and I would let her shower at one point. Obviously, he didn't let her shower. I would let her go to the bathroom occasionally. Obviously, he didn't let her go to the bathroom. And then eventually, he thought he'd give her enough freedom that she would just run away on her own, and it would all go away. Right. 
Matthew tells the detectives that he knows something is wrong with him, too. But he admits to never receiving mental help as he wanted to purposefully avoid it. The more mentally ill he felt, the more he would just isolate himself from other people and just sit there thinking that it would eventually go away. Like it does. Mm-hmm. Right. He wanted to avoid all medications because he thought that they would, specifically he says, that they would put him on antipsychotics, which were just tranquilizers. I don't know where he got that information or that line of thinking. WebMD. Maybe, you know, maybe he Dr. Googled the whole situation and that's what it was. But you know what? That the, No one told him that. He has no professionals that said any of that. And furthermore, we just talked about how he probably had OCD and therefore wouldn't have been necessarily treated immediately with antipsychotics. Also, antipsychotics, while some of them have sedating effects, are not just tranquilizers. They do other things. So, obviously, he's very wrong in all of this. But enough with the parade of feelings already. Where are the other people? Oh, yeah, where are they? Police are baffled as they think Tita, Cody, and Stephanie... Um, are, are most likely dead. But then again, they had found Sarah alive. Right. So anything is possible. Five days into his interrogations, yes, five Jesus. days, Matthew enters the interrogation room in the beginning of the day and tells the officers that he will need a bathroom break in a few hours. Okay. <laughs> what a weird thing to do. Thank then, you, sir. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Just tell us when that happens. Yeah. He then starts asking about all the equipment located in the room, questions he had never asked before, wanting to know how the room was monitored, what certain computers did, if microphones were on, how they were possibly recording him. It was clear that Matthew had a secret, and he didn't want to talk in that room. So he asks for the restroom break he had promised in the middle of the interview, and then asks for one of the uh, detectives in the room to come with him. They are suspicious, of course, because that's a real weird thing to do, given that the prison bathroom is just a one Like, it's a toilet, a sink, and a door. You're not in a stall, and he can stand outside of it. You're sitting there watching him go to the bathroom. But eventually, they comply. Before entering the restroom, Matthew has the detective hand all of his communication devices over to the third officer, because the third officer would have to stand outside the door to ensure everyone's safety. Uh, and so he says, like, give him your phone and your little, like, lapel my, like, recorder and stuff. Anything that could record something, give it to that guy before you come into the bathroom. So obviously we're talking secrets now. Uh, so the officer does that. I mean, you know, he kept his gun and stuff, so it's not like he's going to hurt him. The officer does say at one point, like, it's not like you're going to try and tackle me, are you? Hmm. And Matthew said, no, 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 nothing violent at all. I promise I'm not going to attack you. I just want us to be alone. Yeah, I just have to tell you weird shit in this bathroom by myself. So he does all those things, and while in the restroom, Matthew then tells the detective that that night he had dreamed of being in a meat processing plant and seeing barrels of body parts. And then the whole incident came back to him. How dramatic. He said that he would give him a full full confession, along with the location of the rest of the bodies, on one condition. And it's a doozy. (laughs) He wanted to write his confession out and give it to his lawyer. Then, the detective would take Matthew for a drive somewhere. Why? No one knows. He just would. Upon which time, Matthew would try to escape. And when he did this, the detective detective was to shoot him dead. Once he was dead, 
His lawyer would then hand over the confession and the location of all the bodies. And if this didn't happen, Matthew said he would just find a way to kill himself in prison. He says he is a monster for the things he has done. He's not wrong. He is not wrong whatsoever. But what a wild plan to concoct. Right. Of course, like... Just tell them where the bodies are and then let them shoot you. They're not going (laughs) to shoot him, obviously. Well, but he could try to, you know, I... He could have honestly tried to just get away or gone batshit crazy, and then they would have been forced to do something. I don't know. Yeah, just tell them where the bodies are and just, like, start going nuts. Yeah, then then try your best. you don't have to sit in prison, and we don't care. Exactly. Uh, Of course this doesn't go well. No officer would ever agree to this. And then Matthew tries to backpedal. Immediately, like, the second they get back into that interrogation room, the the detective with him is going to—he tells everybody what had just happened. He has to. And before he does, <laughs> Matthew's like, so are you not going to keep what we just talked about a secret? No. And the detective's like, absolutely not. Of course I'm going to tell them. He does try to bargain a little bit like, well, if you tell me now, maybe you can just tell me and not in front of them or whatever. But Or maybe I won't tell them about your big weird scheme. You can just confess. You have time. You can just do it. Right. But then Matthew decides instead of just confessing, he's going to backpedal and go, oh, no, I was that was bullshit. I was lying. Matthew. Yeah. He he just says, oh, I just, just made that up back there. Yeah, sure you were. Eventually, the whole interrogation process ends as they are clearly not going to get anything out of Matthew. It's been days. So he is then sent directly to the Knox County Prosecutor's Office. And the prosecutors on the 18th of November decide to make him an offer. They will not seek the death penalty if Matthew gives them the location of the other victims and a full confession. And I guess he didn't want to die that hard because he agrees. It's so weird. Because mm-hmm. you would think it would have been the opposite. Like, right. give me the death penalty. Or maybe he just wanted quick death and not to yeah. be on death row. A lot, of, a lot of inmates on death row die there. They don't actually get executed. I know. That's so it's wild. Yeah. Matthew then gives the detectives directions. Like, this is like, a, he does this all written out. So he hands them directions and a map to a hollow, 60-foot-tall beech tree deep in the woods of Coco Sing Wildlife Area in Fredericktown. Inside the tree, he says, they would find trash bags containing the pieces of the three remaining victims and the dog. He had gotten them to the top with the pulley system and dropped them down. Inside the tree? Inside a large hollow tree. Officers went to where they were told, and there they found what had been promised. Tina Herman, Stephanie Sprang, Cody Maynard, and the dog, in pieces. The coroner discovered the victims had been stabbed to death and bled out from their injuries. Then they were dismembered with a serrated knife. The next day, on November 19, 2010, Matthew Hoffman submitted his complete confession to the Knox County Prosecutor's Office, leaving with his life, which is more than we can say for three of his victims. His full confession is as follows. Quote, I parked my car in Howard and walked from there to the house. I got to the woods across the street from the house a little after midnight. I slept across the street from the house that night in a sleeping bag. I woke up at daylight. There were two vehicles parked at the house during the night. I saw that the gray car had left. I went back to sleep until around nine on Wednesday morning. I stayed there until a woman left in a pickup truck. This meant there were no vehicles at the house. I walked across the street and tried to enter the front door, but it was locked. 
I then went in through the garage door. The garage door was not closed all the way, so I slid under it into the garage. I kicked the door into the house from the garage. By this time, it was approximately 10.30 a.m. Wednesday morning. I looked around the house to make sure no one was there. Even if I did not take anything, there was a certain amount of excitement in being in someone else's home without them being there. I was looking for anything of value that could easily be carried out, i.e. money, jewelry, etc. I did not find anything of real value. I was getting ready to leave as I had been there approximately an hour, but someone pulled into the driveway. I was back in the bedrooms when she entered the house and was unable to exit without breaking a window and trying to jump out. I had brought my knife for a certain amount of intimidation in case I ran into someone and needed to make an escape. When she made her way back into the bedrooms, I confronted her and made her get onto the bed lying face down. I believe that we were in her bedroom. I had a blackjack, which is like a little billy club, kind of like a police type thing. I was going to try to knock her out. I hit her a couple times in the head, but this would not knock her out. It was not doing the job, and I started panicking. The next thing I knew, her friend came into the bedroom. I have no idea when she got there, what she was doing there, and how she gained access. The other woman yelled at me, and there were now two to deal with, and I did not know what to do. I grabbed the knife that I had put down on the nightstand and stabbed the woman on the bed through her back twice. I chased the other woman down, that's Stephanie, and stabbed her a couple times in the chest. Instead of running out of the house, she had run into another bedroom. I believe this bedroom was for a girl due to the contents of the room. I then went back to the other bedroom where the first woman was located and stabbed her a couple more times. I could tell that both women were dead now. At this time, I was in a total state of shock. I wandered around the house slowly, coming to the realization of what I had done and how bad it was. During this time, I killed the dog because it would not stop barking. After a while, I came to the conclusion that I was going to dispose of the bodies and burn the house down. At first, I thought about loading the bodies into the vehicle, driving it into the Foundation Park pond. I would swim away as the vehicles sank, but I felt that it was too cold and I might not be able to make it out of the water. I decided to process the bodies and dispose of them, inside of a tree that I knew was hollow. I took the bodies into the bathroom and began processing the bodies to dispose of them. I used garbage bags from within the house and placed the bodies inside. Once I had finished processing the bodies, I moved the jeep into the garage to load up the bodies. I still had a couple of bags to load into the jeep when I heard the children come into the house. I confronted the children, and the girl instantly ran to a bedroom. I stabbed the boy in the chest a couple of times. I ran into the bedroom after the girl to make sure she was not on the phone for help. I saw the girl was not on the phone, and I could not bring myself to kill her. I did not enter the house to kill those people. I did not know a single one of them. I did not know their names, and I did not know who all lived at the house. I chose the house to break into because there was not any close neighbors, and I noticed the garage door was ajar. I chose the house the day before. I did not plan for any of this to happen. I did not want to kill anyone, and I tried to just knock the first woman out so that I would be able to escape. This was not working. A second woman showed up, and things quickly spiraled out of control. They kept escalating, and I was panicking. I only chose to process the bodies to make their disposal easier. End quote. Ooh, that is exactly what happened. Wow. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, you can't really piece it all together yourself, as it is so random and crazy. Wow. Yep. So I feel like 
Sarah survived because she didn't call the cops. Oh, absolutely. She wasn't an immediate danger to him. And he probably liked her. I mean, he did some yeah. things with her that would indicate he did. Yeah. When he sees something he likes, he takes it. Oh, my gosh. And just the house wasn't close to the neighbors. Yep. I'm always, we're going to have to live in apartment buildings now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <sighs> Sorry, yeah. babe, we can't move to the woods. <laughs> no, no one's allowed to live in the woods. It's too People scary. need to hear me scream. Absolutely. The only thing that really still confuses me slightly about what the what happened is which cars were used for what. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because you said, all right, so Stephanie's car was in the garage. Yeah, that's the Jeep. She must have pulled that in. And then you also said, though, that he put Sarah in Stephanie's car, but then what? And then took her out of it, yeah. And then took her out of it. But then where did he, when did he drive Tina's car away? Or was Tina's car not there? No, it was there because that's the one they found in the parking lot at the college. The -hmm. truck, the pickup truck was Tina's. Right. So whatever he did with it, he then ditched it in the oh, parking okay. lot he and then put got her in, in the truck car. and then okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So he must have done like any kind of body transportation in their cars and then got yeah. into his car. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. They I well. mean, he must have bagged that shit up real well because I, I or that uh, they had found DNA that I didn't find in reports, but yeah, that mm-hmm. seems to be what happened. Wow. Sarah Maynard has been interviewed on numerous television shows about her har- harrowing experience. I'll provide a link to a few uh, in the show notes so you guys can um, see her talk if you want. A sad postscript on Sarah, though, is that in May of 2013, her father Larry and stepmother, whom she was sent to live with after her mother's murder, were convicted in the Knox County Court of abusing Sarah. (gasps) I know. Her father had punched her in the back several times, and her stepmother pushed her down a flight of stairs. The fuck? Yep. An order of protection has been placed against them, after they served a few days in jail, and they were each fined $5,000. Sarah was sent to live elsewhere in a publicly undisclosed location. That is horrible. Yeah, that poor girl cannot catch a break. So she's living with a different family now, and they it's not like witness protection. It's not like she has a different name and she's far, far away, but just the press doesn't need to know who she's living with, basically. And they don't. They shouldn't. Nobody no, should be finding her. her. Let her go live her life. Oh, how horrible. Yeah, and that is the complete and total story as I as I know it. That one was really sad. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. There were leaves. I, I liked how you wrote it. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, it's it's a tough one. I just it just was on theme with the, the fall look the timing and the leaves. I know. I think I got um Lucky, we've had some fun ones we recently. We have, we have. This one wasn't so fun. It wasn't. A lot of them aren't. I mean, mm-hmm. it's some- it's interesting, though. I'd like to look more into this leaf matter. Yeah, that's the What is thing- it that they thought he was OCD about, though? The, the leaves were just like his compulsion. They were part of, like, he had to. Okay. That's, uh, there in, if you're looking up, like, paraphilias and a list of them, dendrophilia is one that some people argue is part of obsessive-compulsive disorder rather than just a simple, like, sexual diversion. I don't know why. I don't know what it is about trees, but people who have a thing with trees are, like, obsessed with them in a different way than, say, the kid that wants to have sex with his car. <laughs> okay. So glad I made sure you saw that video. It was a horrible video. 
John gives me those kissy sounds once in a while. Now. <laughs> Ew. Ew, it's so gross. It's horrible. Don't watch it. I mean, like, whatever your thing. I'm not here to shame people for their thing. I don't well, want people coming after me. But it is, um, it is unsettling to watch as a third party. Let's put it that way. Yeah, nobody needed to see that. No, that could be just just for you, friend. Yeah, that's just you and Chase. Yeah, living here. <laughs> yes. That's the car's name, Leslie. I know it is. God, they um, love each other. They do. So, uh, toast? Yes, please. <laughs> so, obviously, we're going to toast to um, Sarah for surviving. Yes. Um, to the DQ friends. Oh, the DQ posse. Yes. They were killer. And all the police involved in this. Yeah. Like, they Mr. really Feeney. knocked it out of the park. They It happened very fast. He was in jail by the night of the 11th, which was, the, like, the day they were found. They This okay. was very quick. Okay. So, um, and and by the 19th, they had found the bodies and had a full confession. Okay. And this happened on the 10th, I believe. Oh, what about, like, Greg? Me and Greg did... refused to, uh, well, the only postscript I have on Greg is that he did not want to go back to that house or try to live in that house or anything. He just okay. got his stuff and left. There's, yeah. That's all that there really is okay. on Greg. I mean, he has a few quotes I mean, in, in, like, interviews with him when they were investigating the case, but that's it. And it's mainly just, like, I talked to her then, I left the house then, this is what I did. Yeah. I wonder if he has, um, what's that, like, survivor's guilt? I don't know. Yeah. He could, um, I don't know. We don't know Greg. No. I don't know what his bag is. Greg with all the G's. So many G's. <laughs> it's fine. Whatever. All right. Well, so, let's toast to them. Oh, no. Do we have only one? We don't. Cup? I forgot to bring my cup in. John can put a clink. <laughs> I think he's going to have to this week. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> clink it up, John. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to to uh, Sarah and the police and the DQ club. <laughs> And if we entered our own home on a day like any other day, only to find that we were not alone, we We would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. He went to prison. Now he just eats squirrels. That's what they all do. (laughs) 